the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show this Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. Our phone number is 602 Got a lot to do with you today. Um, I don't want to restrict any calls, but I would like to ask veterans or if you're currently serving, uh, I, I'd like your opinion on what the images out of Afghanistan mean to you, whether you served in country in Afghanistan or for that matter, anywhere in the Middle East or not, I don't care. I just want to know what your views are, what you're seeing and what you're thinking when you see what's going on in Afghanistan. So I'll give the number out again. If you wore or wear this country's uniform, please, please, please share your thoughts with me. 602-508-0960. I know I'm asking of you something uh, that I may not have um, the authority to ask you, given all that you have already done to serve this country. So I thank you for that. But I would like an informal polling of those in Arizona who wore the uniform and know what they're thinking. The president today gave another speech on Afghanistan, sort of. What do I mean by that, sort of? It was um, a speech that did not start with the issue of Afghanistan. Now, yesterday, Vice President Kamala Harris said that Afghanistan and the evacuation of our troops and friends there is the number one priority and focus of the administration. She said that from Singapore. I just want you to let that sink in. Why the vice president is in Singapore while this is going on, while the president is on vacation while this is going on, how it's their first and top priority is a little hard to swallow. But so, too, is it hard to swallow that this is their top priority when Joe Biden has one issue before him. In fact, the world has one issue before it right now, and it's not COVID. It's Afghanistan. The world's attention is on Afghanistan. Friend, enemy alike. Now, again, remember, this is priority number one, according to the administration's vice president, and it is priority number one for the world. And Joe Biden starts by talking about how the House just passed a spending bill that has nothing to do with the issue of Afghanistan. Nothing at all. When he did get to Afghanistan, he said we will abide and continue to keep the August 31st deadline. That is a deadline. That is a deadline that the Taliban has given us. He went on to blame President Trump. He said nothing to our soldiers. And he said something contradictory, as Jen Psaki said something today, contradictory to every other expert on the record outside of the White House, whether they are D's or whether they are R's, whether they are Democrats or whether they are Republicans. 
which is we will not be able to get all Americans out within the next seven days. We will not. That includes, by the way, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. He said, I think it's very unlikely, given the number of Americans who still need to be evacuated. Very unlikely, Adam Schiff. Other Republicans and other Democrats are saying the same thing. This may be the issue. This may be the day Joe Biden lost support from this country. His numbers are plunging. But that's not the big issue. They're plunging because of the big issue. What's the big issue? The big issue is the role of the confidence in and the authority, moral, credible, and physical, of the United States. That's the issue. That's the issue. No one here gave two darns about Afghanistan on September 10th, 2001. No one gave two darns. There's only one reason we gave a darn after September 10th, 2001, and it's because of what took place on September 11th, 2001. And what took place for those that may need a little memory jog was an attack on this country, the likes of which this country or any country has never seen, using human beings as missiles against fellow human beings. Okay, that's what took place, and it was accomplished by two entities, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, the Taliban, which gave training and base and cover to Al-Qaeda. We went into Afghanistan, according to every speech George W. Bush gave and to the debates around the authorization for the use of military force, which was passed unanimously, but for one vote was about going after the Taliban because they would not give up al-Qaeda. The connection, the nexus between al-Qaeda and the Taliban was as close as you can get. It wasn't Macy's and Gimbel's. It was Macy's and the Thai Department at Macy's. Okay? There are now today, as I speak, more al-Qaeda in Afghanistan than there were on September 10th, 2001. This according to the New Yorker. The president tells us al-Qaeda has been demolished in Afghanistan. There are more of them there now than there were before. He said when we killed bin Laden, the mission was over. It's not what I said. I'm not anybody. But I remember being interviewed the night that bin Laden was killed. And someone said, is that the end of Al-Qaeda? And I said, no more than it's the end of the PLO now that Yasser Arafat is dead. Indeed, there still is a leader of Al-Qaeda, and there is more Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan today. We went into Afghanistan to rid the world of Al-Qaeda and to throw the Taliban out of office. We did a great job on the 2nd. We really did. By December, the Taliban was out of office. They were no longer in control of Afghanistan, politically or militarily. Today, today, we send the CIA director to negotiate with them to maintain a situation 
where we have put them in power. The reason we went was to get them out. The reason we are leaving is because they are in. And there is more al-Qaeda than before. Just so we understand this. Now, today, President Biden, as I said, blamed previous – he has been – previous administration. He has been the president for seven-plus months. Seven-plus months. This was his order. This was his change. Who was it who was earlier on Fox saying, when you look at everything that Biden has done, it's been about breaking things that were essentially fixed, starting with the border, starting with energy independence, starting with Iran, starting with Afghanistan. I was uh, privileged to be on a podcast yesterday and. They were talking to me. The question was why this disconnect between so many Americans politically. And I said part of it goes to why Biden seems so cold about American lives and American stature with regard to Afghanistan. When I talk about or when others talk about this looking like Saigon, I worry 1975. I worry about enough people remembering what happened in Saigon in 1975. But it's not the pictures. It's not the pictures from the embassy in Saigon any more than it's the pictures from Karzai International Airport. That is not the problem. The problem is what comes after. And after Saigon and America fled – after the Democrats cut off funding for our troops and the support there, after we fled, you had killing fields. You had refugee crises. You had communism take over and you had 10 other countries fall to the Soviet sphere because American credibility was shot with our allies as well as with our enemies. That's what it means to have Saigon 2.0, not pictures. But allies in fear and enemies on the rise, with Americans trapped in Afghanistan presently. Think they'll become hostages if they don't all get out after August 31st? If they become hostages? If they become hostages? That'll be an improvement over what I'm guessing is their fate. When you pray for hostage-taking, you know you're in trouble. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. back to the Seth Leibson show. I had a lot more to say, but uh, this audience is far smarter than I am, with far more experience. So let's hear from the experts. Dustin is in Phoenix. Hello, Dustin. Hello, Seth. How are you? Doing well, sir. So I just kind of wanted to touch base on the subject you brought up there Thank about you. veterans and uh, how they feel about the whole situation. So I served in the Army for eight years. Uh, Thank you for doing and, that. And, no, no worries. I joined, you know, because of September 11th, I joined after 2001 or, you know, during 2001. Uh, after 9-11, I went to uh, BASIC and went to my duty station. And then, you know, I got, uh, we were on standby, but then got fed, you know, 
the Iraq story, so then we went there instead. But I still wholeheartedly thought we should have been in Afghanistan from you know from the beginning to the end. And you thought you were going uh, to Afghanistan, going. right, initially? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, that was the whole reason I... You know, okay. I joined to go fight. I, Can I ask you a quick uh, question? You know, I'll give you all the time. I, I just there's so many. <laughs> My quick question for you, Dustin. Um, at that time, is your memory mine? Which was we went to Afghanistan, yes, for Bin Laden, Al Qaeda, but also we went after the Taliban. They were the target. All right. I, I, I just wanted to check my memory on this because it's something Joe Biden never mentions anymore. He never says that one of the goals in Afghanistan was the Taliban, for obvious reasons. But it certainly was by my memory. Correct, yeah. We were, we were going after the Taliban and we're going off after al-Qaeda. Okay. And then that's how they led into us going into Iraq after the al-Qaeda facets that were in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And then it led to the weapons of mass destruction right. and all the other false narratives that ended up coming out. So. Right. Um the war machine kept pumping, really. Yep. Let's let's just look at it, what it is. Okay. Uh, so my my experience with Afghanistan, unfortunately, is very limited. I got to go to Iraq three times. Um, during those all three times, I questioned our whole, you know, foot foothold there. Sure. But again, you know, as a soldier, you, you do as you're told, pretty much. You, you know, you sign a contract. You, you say you're going to do the orders that are appointed, but, you know, you don't really have much of a say. I get it. But still seeing the turmoil of the country, because same thing kind of happened in Iraq, uh, I think, like 2012, 2014, they started breaking it down. That's right. But they had a plan. Mm -hmm. They didn't just pull everything out. They didn't just, you know, vacuum vortex it where everything just collapsed down on one. But my, so seeing what's going on is very kind of, Almost surreal because I did work in the Kabul uh, embassy from I uh, was contracting security and uh, from 2010 to 2011. And our rules of engagement at the time were if we had riots or uh, mass gathering of um, Afghanis uh, or personnel, you know, who wanted to protest or anything, there's a whole whole uh, order of operation. You break down, you post security, you, if you had to, you know, alleviate the threat. Um, if they're nonviolent, you just set up and, you know, pull security and make sure that nothing, uh, you know, bad happens to the embassy because, you know, you're, we're there to protect the diplomats and the, the visitors of the embassy, the United States embassy. So what I found very, uh, I'm trying to think how to put this. What I found very odd is there was no resistance as the Taliban rolled into Kabul. Yeah, I thought that there was, was pretty no odd, too. Zero. I mean, just zero. It's as if welcome mats were, 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 were put out for them. Right. And that's what's very odd, especially when they said the embassy, they're withdrawing all the personnel, uh, and they they took the flag and, and pretty much tucked tail and walked. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm you know, hindsight looking in, maybe they didn't want a Benghazi episode or, uh, you know, they didn't want any types of situation where it could be, you know, uh, a battle, right? They they were just like, well, take No desert ones, no Black Hawk downs, no Benghazis, right? Risk aversion. Correct. But it's still very, coming from 
Army infantry and then going into contracting security. The rules of engagement still, you know, kind of hold if you don't give up your fighting position. So, it's like I said, it's very odd that they just walked in and nobody stopped them. Like, there, you don't hear any stories of resistance. Mm-hmm. You don't hear any stories of of any battles that happen in right. between. They they just walked in. And right. that's, it's, it just doesn't sit right. So That's being, an interesting you know, point here, I hadn't considered, Dustin. I mean, when you think about it, even in, my gosh, even in such lopsided power structures as China, you have protesters, yes. right? Yes. Everyone remembers the student standing up to the tank. There was none Correct. of that. That's an, that's an interesting point. And then just one more side. What, what do you do with that point? What, is that, what, what do you conclude from that point? I, I, uh, that's, well, and that's the thing, right? So and that's where I'm going to go. Okay. So I feel like the, there's so much. We're, you know, we're obviously in information warfare. Mm-hmm. We're getting one facet from the news media that's, you know, if it bleeds, it, it leads type mm-hmm. of thing. So mm-hmm. they're showing all the torment and the, the detriment or the, the chaos. But if social media right now, Facebook's quiet. There's nothing on Facebook. Twitter, you're getting bits and pieces, like just a little bit of screenshot or a little bit of a snippet here and there. Uh, you're getting the TikTok videos, which are showing different aspects of like some of the humanitarian points that are going on and then some of the cruelty. And then you same with kind of Instagram because Instagram is feeding off of TikTok, it seems like. So there's so much disinformation slash information that's coming and going. It's hard to decipher between reality and the falsehood of what they're putting out. I agree with that. It's hard to distinguish between what's real and what isn't. And it's hard to distinguish in part because if you listen to the congressmen and senators who are read into these national security briefings, they walk out and say, what you're hearing from the president in public is not what we heard in our briefing. I'm not sure the administration is honest with the administration, never mind the American people. I'm not sure state and defense are communicating. I'm not sure NSC, state, defense, and the president are communicating. Correct. Correct. And then um, uh, Marcus Latrell, the the uh, individual, the former Marine or former lone survivor. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. Lone survivor. He he gave a pretty powerful uh, thing saying, like, no, you go back in there and you get Americans. He's like, I was stranded for, you know, a month or two months. Yep. And you guys came hunting yep. for me. Yep. And you're saying there's 10,000 Americans yep. there and you're not hunting. Yep. You're not going to rescue them. Yep. What, where, where, what is this? Yep. This is not America. Yeah, I agree. I got to find that quote. I got to find that line. I got to find Marcus. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good lead, Dustin. Oh, it's phenomenal. Cause you can, you can feel the emotion that he is embodying because you, and being a veteran, so I can see when a vet has a flashback. Yeah, so yeah. you can tell at that moment he's starting to—he's starting to remember. He's starting to feel it again. Yeah, and he's fighting it, and and the emotion comes out a little bit, but he's—he's he's to the point. I'm he's you. like, you guys, night and day, twenty-four-seven, were hunting for me. Why can't we do this for ten thousand Americans? I will uh, look that up uh, to try and get him on the show. Thank you, Dustin, and thank you again for your insight, no. mostly for your service. Thank you, sir. No. Thank you, Seth. Bless you. Thank you.
Well, there's a good old friend, John Dombrowski. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. His radio show here every Saturday at 7 a.m., the word on wealth. J.D., how are you? Fantastic. What's happening? It's good to hear your voice. It's nice to uh, be in touch. Talk to me a little bit about uh, a story I saw today in the Wall Street uh, – actually, it was on CNBC, not the Wall Street Journal – about the most expensive places to rent in America. Oh, boy. You know, we always hear about you know the cost of living in certain areas of the country. Um, San Francisco's always been right up there as far as the cost of living. And real estate itself has been extremely expensive there, but the cost of rent was always the highest in the nation. But just now we've seen that New York City has passed uh, San Francisco as far as the most expensive place to rent an apartment. Uh, median rent for a one-bedroom apartment in New York City now is $2,800 basically a month. It's a little bit above San Francisco. Uh, and a lot of this, they're attributing this the change uh, because of so many people are leaving. Yeah, California is is seems to be the uh, one of the main reasons of this, because it was a pretty substantial difference at one point, just you know a year or two ago. But now uh, New York City has apparently made a rebound. I'm surprised. You know, New York City, of course, because of the financial district, uh, the stock market being there, and so forth. A lot of companies and a lot of people want to live close by, but uh, I'm really kind of surprised in a way because uh, a lot of people did move away from New York as well. Can you imagine what that one bedroom in New York at twenty eight hundred and ten dollars must look like, John? Uh, no, no, it's, it's not going to be a good neighborhood, a and it's not. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just probably you're lucky if you're not sharing a bathroom. I too. would think that's right. You may yeah, have a bathroom so. down the hall. It's one bedroom. <laughs> we don't yeah, know how many bathrooms. Yeah. But what's interesting, of course, is you do have rent control yep. in the city there. Yep. So there are people I know. I've know people that live in the city, been living there for 25 years, paying similar rent that they were paying 25 yep. years ago. Yep. Uh, so it's difficult for a lot of these landlords uh, because property taxes are going up yep. for them, but they can't raise these rates. So That's it's, right. It's a little bit of a uh, you know a little bit of an issue for them, but and overall, a lot. Of, by the way, two states with very heavy regulatory yes. uh, regu- regulation regimes that affect building of new housing. Mm-hmm. Hey, real quick, let me get to Arizona. I was going to well, guess because... where – can I guess? I haven't looked it yeah. up. Yeah. I'm going to guess about half? Yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty close, right? Am because I? Uh, it's a little less than half. It's okay. A, it's, this was an, I was trying to do some research on this, and I got numbers all over the place, but it's becoming a little out of reach, it says, in the Phoenix area. Housing rentals becoming too costly for tenants. Mm-hmm. But they're saying the average um, in North Phoenix – uh, in 2015, was uh, for a, it says for a Phoenix house was two um, twelve hundred dollars a month. Okay, and now they're looking um, substantially higher than that. But for a, an apartment, twelve hundred and fifty two dollars, where it used to be eight hundred. So we're looking at about uh, an increase from last year up about sixteen percent. I got I gotta say though, I, I and I don't but know what to do with this exactly, that. except to maybe draw more new, more conservative New Yorkers here, if I may. Yeah, I gotta say that that thirteen hundred dollar apartment in Phoenix is going to be a lot nicer than that twenty eight hundred dollar apartment in New York. I'm sure it is. I know it is. Yeah, it, you absolutely. See all the growth that's yep. going and all yep. the building that's going on around here in the Phoenix area, yep. all of these infilled lots that have been empty or, 
you know, they're starting to really build, and they're building apartments. Yep. It's, it's amazing the number of units that they're building right now, getting ready for what they can see is this boom and this need for housing. And I know the state recently got about $160 million uh, from the federal government, I think, here uh, yep. for affordable housing. Right. So we're going to see, um, for those people out there that are getting priced out of the market, hopefully there's going to be some financial aid for them. Financially, as an investment strategy to have a rental property, we've talked about it from time mm-hmm. to time. Your latest yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I mean, if you were fortunate enough to have a property yeah. before the increase in values that we're seeing right now, uh, you're going to probably be in a pretty good position okay. if you don't mind being a landlord. Yeah. Of course, you've got these restrictions that had occurred over the past year with uh, people who are un- unable to pay sure. rent and landlords were unable to evict people. So you've got to take a little bit of the good with the bad. Right now, the rent rates are good for landlords, not so good for tenants. Yeah. But you've got to take some of these regulatory envi- yeah. you know, some of the regulatory environment into account. And whether or not you really truly want to be a landlord, it is a becomes a job. Oh yeah, and there's risk associated oh, with it. Oh. If you're up for it, you could make some money. But you just have to be cautious. That's Good. all. Thank you, J.D. Yep. Bless you, you sir. Did. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finner and Tippett, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thank you, Seth. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. A uh, lot to um, cover here. I just, out of curiosity, I um, I went to CNN and MSNBC websites to see what they were saying about the president's uh, the president's speech today on Afghanistan. And uh, let me just tell you what CNN has. They do have a story that says Biden says withdrawal success depends on Taliban cooperation. That must make you feel proud. American success depends on the Taliban. It may not make you feel proud. I'll tell you who it makes feel proud, the Taliban. American success depends on the Taliban. This is where we are. All right. They have one story on that. Then Herschel Walker files to run for Senate in Georgia. Under that, analysis, why Herschel Walker's candidacy is a total nightmare for Senate GOPers. I love when CNN instructs Republicans on what's bad for Republicans. Usually we should take that as a sign to go with what they counsel against. I am a little suspicious of CNN thinking that or CNN's thinking when it comes to Republican success. Um. Then you get a story how the mess in Congress shows why Democrats are right to be freaking out. Not about Afghanistan. I quoted you Democrats earlier who were criticizing Joe Biden. That's not what this is about. This is about the budget vote. Okay? This is about the budget vote. Then we get um, a story about uh, obviously Charlie Watts. Uh, We get a story about uh, Havana syndrome incident delayed VP Harris's flight to Vietnam, whatever the heck that means. Um, Man drowns in Lake Michigan, saving two children. 
do you get the sense of what CNN cares about? Not the tragedy that's taking place right now. So go over to MSNBC. You know, that's NBC and Microsoft. First story, Rahm Emanuel's potential new gig is offensive on so many levels. Has to do with him being the ambassador to Japan. Irony is officially dead in Arizona. Having to do with the audit and cyber ninjas. Expected guilty plea from a Giuliani associate. If you went to MSNBC, you wouldn't know that Afghanistan is a country much less an issue. It's just not on their front page. How do you do that? How, how is that possible? How is that possible? Then there's this kind of interesting story, too. And callers, I'll be with you in a moment. I just I'm mad. I'm mad. There's this headline, Officer... Yeah. (laughs) Police findings underscore Trump's role in making the January 6th tragedy worse. Trump's role. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting about this January 6th thing. I'll tell you what's interesting about it. You used to hear Democrats talk about it all the time. All the time. What are they talking about now? Well, they're talking about budgets and infrastructure. How many of you have heard this story? It's only five days old, which is to say it's a five-day-old story. How many of you know it? Here's the headline. FBI finds scant evidence U.S. Capitol attack was coordinated. Reuters. Reminds me of Izzy Stone's line. It's always fun when reading the Washington Post so I can figure out what page the front page story should be on. FBI finds scant evidence U.S. Capitol attack was coordinated. How many times did we hear Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats screaming that this not only was an insurrection, but a white supremacist insurrection coordinated? Well, let me give you Reuters from five days ago. Though federal officials have arrested more than 570 alleged participants, the FBI at this point believes the violence was not centrally coordinated by far-right groups or prominent supporters of then-President Donald Trump, according to the sources. 90 to 95 percent of these are one-off cases, said a former senior law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation. Then you have 5 percent, maybe, of these militia groups that were more closely organized, but there was no grand scheme. FBI investigators did find that cells of protesters had aimed to break into the Capitol, but they found no evidence that the groups had serious plans about what to do if they made it inside, the sources said. That's the end of an insurrection argument. No plan. It's not an insurrection. There's no governing plan here. It's not an insurrection and they weren't coordinated. So shut the H up, Nancy. Truly, it's quite enough. Keith in Atlanta. Hi, Keith. Hey, how are you doing, Seth? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, 
you mentioned about Herschel Walker running from Senate. Oh, yeah. I don't lose that thought. There's something I want to cover that, but that, that was not what I wanted to call it. Well, actually, okay, but do start there, Keith. You're in Atlanta. What, what does that race look like? Oh, I, I tell you what, Herschel Walker is going to clean it up. Yeah, and CNN gonna, thinks it's bad for Keith, Republicans. Sure. Oh, no. Herschel <laughs> Walker walk, walks on water yeah, here, yeah. and he's a true gentleman. Yeah. You'll never hear the men swear, you'll never see him get angry. He's loved here. Herschel Walker is, I, I, let's just put it this way. Herschel Walker is, is, is to, to Georgia almost like the, like a peach. And, um, well, I'll take your word that he's good for us over CNN's. Oh, without a doubt. And I'll tell you what, here's why CNN is, they're showing their colors on this. The white racist, uh, liberals of the Democrat Party are scared of these black men that are going and running as Republicans yeah. and leading. Yeah. They're, they hate Larry Elder. They hate Alan West. Didn't they? Didn't they the L.A. Hate, Times editorialize Larry Elder as the black white supremacist? They probably did. No, they and did. No, that who, was the headline. And I'll tell you who the liberals really hate, too. You're going to see him catch a lot of heat before long. Is Mark Robinson in North Carolina. Oh yes, that guy has, yes, yes, yes. Huh? Yeah, that guy has no fear, and he is bold. And I'll tell you one thing: just watch him. I still think he's a rising star. Yes, but, but, he is. But what I want to can you hold the can I you wanted, hold the thought, Keith, for the for the next segment? We'll give it to you, and you can you yes, can. Yes, sir, I will. Okay, thanks. I, I just have to hit the commercial break. Keith in Atlanta. We'll be right back to you. We got others on hold. We will get to you as well. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Keith in Atlanta, thank you for your patience, sir. Yes, what I originally called about was um, the 25th Amendment. Remember how Democrats and the media were putting pressure on Republicans to invoke the 25th Amendment because they questioned the mental stability of Donald Trump. And, and Democrats kept saying, you need to put the country ahead of the party. And Donald Trump really was never mentally unstable. He only reacted to the media. I wish he hadn't did it as much, but we can understand that. When he was treated with respect, he handled it really well. But Joe Biden has totally different issues. He's incoherent, and you and it's clear. And the Democrats will not put the party ahead of the country. They will remove Biden when it's clear Biden has become a detriment to the party, not the country. And I don't think they're there, really. I mean, I I, I think they they are are saying some things about Afghanistan to cover their own butts, but I don't think they're ready to get rid of Biden. He's given them everything they want, isn't he? Yep. And I'll tell you, just like with Cuomo, I thought he was going to survive. But when it was clear he was going to sink the Democrats, he was finished. And that's why it's with Biden. You know what's interesting about the differences? Cuomo was never a friend to the progressive left in New York. Remember he and he wasn't. No, he he and De Blasio had a lot of fights. De Blasio is the progressive left. Uh, progressive leftist ran against Cuomo in the primary. The actress from Sex in the City, I can't remember her name, but um, I th- I think that's why Democrat. Pardon? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Bill. Cynthia Nixon. Um, she ran on the on the progressive primary as the progressive primary candidate against Cuomo. But that is the difference. Biden's given the progressives what they want. Cuomo never did. And I'll tell you, well, like I said, he 
he and Harris, I, I, I personally think this. We'll know Biden's in trouble when they start talking about the Hunter Biden stuff and other things external to his yep, presidency. Yep, take yep, it down. That's a fair and, point. And, they, and you know he really will be in trouble when Harris has to step down because they want Harris out of the way, too, because they don't want her as the head of the party. She's very unpopular. I think the Democrats all along wanted Buttigieg because the the issues with him. Um, but the other thing I want to say that about about is um, Biden pulling out wanted to um, have a at the September 11th memorial show uh, talk about what he did for the country. All these other presidents that couldn't finish it, but he did. Mm-hmm. I want to say, and I'm sad to say this, and I hope it doesn't happen. I pray it doesn't happen. But the American people better be prepared for September 11th, not what could happen here, but what the Taliban could do with the American people. They're trapped behind lines on point. September 11th. It's a good point. They will do a public demonstration of Americans in the world's eyes just to show what they can do. Oh, my gosh. Hadn't even dawned on me what's going to take place on September 11th in Afghanistan. Keith, I was worried enough about what was going to take place here. I fear you're right. We have some other callers on hold. Don't go away. I'll get right to you at the other side of this top of the hour news break. I'm Seth Liebson, and we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 